The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at the college basketball scene here in Rhode Island. Uh, This is Kevin McNamara in Providence uh, alongside Bill Koch. Uh, Bill, Welcome back to the podcast. Kevin, great to be here as always. <clears throat> we are deep into conference play uh, with uh, everybody, with the exception, of course, of the Ivy League. Uh, they're late to the party with their 14-game league schedule. Um, uh, we are taping on Tuesday, and uh, speaking of the Ivy League, Brown University has a game at Canisius tonight. Good luck to the Bears. They're the hottest team in uh, in Rhode Island, and... Uh, the Golden Griffins out there will be a tough little road test, but uh, just a tiny bit on the Bears. Uh, Bill, they open at uh, at Yale uh, a week from Friday, so it's a busy stretch here. Yeah, they've won uh, ten of the last twelve. The last time we saw them was against Maine. They scraped away with a seventy-five sixty-seven victory, a game that they tried to give away in the second half. They were ahead comfortably. Uh, Maine made a big run. They got it down to a single possession within the last three minutes, and, and Brown was able to hold their nerve. It would have been a, a shocking and very disappointing loss considering the way the Bears have gone so oh. far. The only two teams that have beaten them since the middle of November were Rhode Island and Butler. Hmm. Two pretty good teams. Mm. Uh, so uh, Brown looking to stay hot heading into the Ivy League. Um, so we won't see them again around here for a little bit. But uh, we will see the uh, Rhode Island Rams uh, this weekend. Uh, Rhode Island has a, has a busy two-game stretch. Uh, first of all, tomorrow, Wednesday night, they will be at Richmond to face the Spiders. Uh, and then Rhodey comes home and will host George Mason on Sunday afternoon. But uh, we're going to start here with the Rams, uh, Bill. Uh, just back from a 60-53 loss at St. Louis. I watched the game. You were at the game. Uh, I was impressed with both teams' defense, uh, physical, good size, um, again, by both teams. Offensively, both teams were really bad. And uh, the, the Rams had an excellent chance to steal what would have been a great road win. Uh, but their offense escaped them just when they needed it the most down the stretch. But uh, w- what are the takeaways for you from the uh, from Rhodey's Atlantic 10 opener? Well, they really miss Fats Russell, uh, first and foremost. Uh, you know, Fats Russell is in the concussion protocol, uh, suffered a fall late in practice on Thursday, reported feeling a little dizzy, and didn't pass out of the protocol in time for the Sunday tip. So they really missed him, not only from a scoring standpoint, Kevin, but from a ball handling standpoint. The only true guard on the bench for Rody right now is Omar Silverio. He's a freshman, hasn't proven to be ready yet. Um, and that put a lot of pressure on Jeff Doughton. He played 36 minutes in this game. He had a career-high five turnovers, went two for ten from the field. It was very atypical performance for him. And, and, I think and, that, and the team had 17, which uh, you know they haven't had that many in a long time. And I think that speaks to how you led this off. St. Louis's defense, one of the best in the league, really gave URI a team that struggles to score at times anyway a real hard time in this game. Mm-hmm. And uh, offensively, you know, it did come in fits and stops a little bit for the uh, Rams, mainly because Jeff Doughton w- was really hounded by uh, Javon Bess, the, the strong physical guard from uh, 
from St. Louis, a transfer from Michigan State, and he looks like a Spartan, you know, really strong Tom Izzo-type guard. Uh, Jeff was 2-for-10 from the field. Cyril Langevin inside was 1-for-8. You know, if you think about those two guys are 3-for-18, no Fats Russell, it's almost amazing the Rams were in the game, and, you know, it does speak to why they only could manage 53 points. Yeah, they had a hard time with Hassan French inside, uh, 10 points and 11 rebounds for the St. Louis sophomore. He's a physical problem if you're an opponent. Uh, the reason Rhode Island was in this game, in my mind, were two freshmen. Uh, Tyrese Martin had a career-high 18 points. He was 4-for-6 from 3. His teammates were 2-for-12. He was really the only perimeter offense that Rhodey had. And then Dana Tate, who played a career-high 31 minutes off the bench, he just missed out on a double-double, 9 points and 10 rebounds. Very active, uh, you know, showed some some physicality in this game, um, showed some aggression in this game. And I think the emergence of those two guys, a positive sign for Rhode Island. The negative is the veterans struggled so much that they needed the freshmen just to stay in the game. Mm -hmm. And I think if you really look at Rhode Island's season so far, this is how they've played. The the offense has been very inconsistent, and the defense has been good. And obviously finding more consistency on offense is going to rely too much on Jeff Doughton's shoulders, especially if Fats Russell can't play tomorrow night at Richmond. The, the good news is R- Richmond looks like a team that's that's ready to be beat. The Spiders have really struggled this year um, w- with some tough losses at home. Uh, probably a little bit worse than last year where Richmond was a bit of a tough out. They had Grant Golden inside, one of the better big guys in the league. But uh, you know they've taken a bit of a step back this year. Yeah, they started right off their opening game losing to Longwood at home. And, and that really sort of set the tone for what's unfolded. Since then, uh, they have other losses to Hampton, to Oral Roberts, to Old Dominion, all of those at home at the Robbins Center. Um, team that looks completely different from last season. You're talking about losing DeMonte Buckingham, who's a two-year standout from the Richmond area. He was dismissed from the program. Uh, Nick Sherrod, shooting guard, he tore his ACL in his left knee against Hampton. He's out for the season. Quan Four transferred to Louisville as a graduate transfer. So that's some significant firepower that they've lost. Their last game, Sunday at Dayton, they were 11 for 38 from three-point range. They completely forgot about Grant Golden inside. Um, it was a 72-48 loss against a 2-3 zone employed by the Flyers. And, and that's a look that Rhode Island flashed a little bit against St. Louis and was relatively effective with it. And I think we might see a little bit more of it on Wednesday night. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, I noted that on, on Twitter. I was impressed. I, I hadn't seen much zone, certainly sort of very little zone in the last several years with Dan Hurley. And David Cox, I uh, was surprised that they pulled that out of their back pocket. Uh, I think it was done more to protect a few guys in foul trouble with the Rhode Island having such a short bench. And, you know, when it works, you, you ride the hot hand. And uh, the zone defense wor- worked very well for Rhode Island. They did hold um, uh, St. Louis to 38% shooting, only 33% from the three-point line, only 7 for 21. Uh, sounds like uh, we may see some of that uh, tomorrow night as well, especially if uh, foul trouble pops up again. You know, uh, uh, Rhode Island really needs to get both Langevin and Jermaine Harris going in the same game. We really haven't seen that yet this year. Harris is continually in foul trouble, and uh, Dana Tate has played better. Uh, than Harris in recent games and has, has grabbed some of his time. So, you know, 
with David Cox really just operating with a with a seven or eight man rotation, depending on uh, Russell's availability. Uh, you know, we, we know who's going to be playing. It's just whether they can uh, you know perform with some consistency. Yeah, really, the only time that jumps out to me that those two guys played well together was against Brown, and and that's a team that Rhode Island is just bigger and stronger than. Uh, Langevin had 19 points and 17 rebounds in that game, and Harris had 15 points and was six for six from the field. You you could see at times against St. Louis when he's up against Hassan French and DJ Foreman, it's a little too much for him uh, in terms of physicality. And you would expect that out of a freshman who's in the front court, who's trying to find his way. Um, As we've said, though, all the way along, Rhode Island needs the freshman to play well if they're going to beat good teams. And in this case, when you have Fats Russell out and you have Cyril Langevin struggling, it might be unfair to ask Jermaine Harris to sort of step into the breach and provide some production, but the reality is if the Rams are going to win these sorts of games, he has to. Has to. Uh, the good news is uh, freshman Tyrese Martin, who came advertised as a scorer, uh, you know, a versatile wing player who, who could make plays you know, with the ball, and uh, sure enough, he really had his best game of his career, four threes. 18 points, six rebounds, uh, really did a little bit of everything. And that's the Tyrese Martin that the Rams badly need. Yeah, they just need, uh, you know, perimeter scoring, obviously, has, has been a huge issue for them. The way that they've shot the three, they're still in the bottom 10 in the country. 11 out of their 13 games, they haven't reached 34% from three. And you can just see it, Kevin, the, the way that it affects floor spacing shot selection, the way it allows opponents to defend you. They don't necessarily need to honor your three-point shooting. They can suck down inside and either take away driving lanes or try to take away Langevin. And, you know, if Martin is going to be a guy who can emerge and make a few shots and maybe keep defenses honest, that's going to help the rest of the offense as well. Especially Langevin, who clearly is uh, one of the top big guys in the league. He's, he's really aggressive uh, going to the rim, catching it in the post. He just happened to you know be one of eight the other day, but I, I liked all of his shots. You know, It's not as if he's taking bad shots, fallaways or anything like that. Uh, and obviously he's always a factor around, around the rim. Uh, Bill, after Richmond, uh, like we said, they come home uh, finally. You know, for is it two in a row? I know they played Mason, row. Mason on Sunday. So, Patriot fans, Ram fans, enjoy the Pats game at one o'clock on Sunday, and then make your way to the Ryan Center for a five thirty tip. Uh, I know that uh, the Atlantic Ten didn't have this in mind back uh, when they set the game times, but it couldn't be more perfect for for local uh, sports fans. Hopefully, they can pull that off. And then, is it Wednesday night they play again? Uh, yeah, Wednesday night against St. Bonaventure. Uh, you know, George Mason obviously started off 2-0, uh, won at St. Joe's, and then beat St. Bonaventure at home. Um, the Bonnies have really struggled, and it's been mostly injury-related with them. Courtney Stockard has missed some time. Ladarian Griffin has missed some time. And when you graduate players like Matt Mobley and Jalen Adams, you, you just can't afford to have your leading scorers, your leading guys off the floor, and, and that's been the reality for the Bonnies to this point. So a great opportunity, hopefully, for the Rams to put together a bit of a streak here. You know, again, we've talked about Richmond being down a little bit. Good opportunity for a road victory there for the Rams. And then you come home, and if you can protect your home court, you're 3-1 you're and one in the league and feeling pretty good about yourself. Right. 
that's got to be the, the focus. No, it has to be. And, you know, you look at going into Richmond uh, on Wednesday night, Rhode Island was 7-2 and two on the road each of the last two years in the Atlantic 10. We've talked about that. They start off 0-2. It stands to reason they're not going to win the next seven um, away from home. So well, it's funny. a, a really I'm, important game to, to sort of get started here. You know, I'm going to start uh, interrupting you and, and uh, sending you emails when I see this uh, – in your copy uh, for the journal, uh, the, the the flashbacks to the last couple of years uh, are clearly over for the Rams. Sure. Uh, except with the point that you continually make, which is spot on, the other team has a long memory. And when the Rams roll into Richmond like they rolled into St. Louis, uh, there's payback on the minds of the of the opponent. It's just that the Rams don't have the firepower that they've had in the last couple of years. It's as simple as that. But you, you can, I'm sure you could clearly see that from the Billikens on Sunday. Oh, absolutely. They, they were ginned up for the game. Uh, you know, the students were on break and the band still came back. They had a decent crowd at, at Chaffetz Arena. I think they announced about 7,300. Um, you know, when the home team doesn't really make shots or, or do anything exciting, it doesn't really give the crowd a chance to get into the game. But, you know, down the stretch, you could feel it. Uh, Rody went the last seven minutes without a field goal, and, and you could sort of feel the Rams tightening up a little bit and the crowd sort of ratcheting up the heat a little bit. Uh, and those are the sorts of environments that you know the freshmen are going to have to get used to quickly mm-hmm. um, you know because otherwise this will be a long two months to Brooklyn and, and the A-10 tournament in March. No, nope, that's what you have to play through. There's no two ways about it. So we'll see what the Rams can get done this week. A busy stretch for them. Um, not a busy stretch for the other team uh, in, in uh, Rhode Island, the Providence Friars. PC fell to 10-5 and and a really dangerous 0-2 in the Big East uh, after a second straight home loss. This one to uh, defending national champ Villanova, 65-59 last Saturday afternoon at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. I, I know, Bill, you were traveling? No, I watched the game. Okay, you watched the game, and uh, boy, the Friars were ugly. Uh, it's for the second straight week, uh, really, really difficult, ugly first half, and dug themselves a 43-25 first half hole and uh, never could quite get out of it. They did, to their credit, make a run down the stretch. That's what teams seems as if always do in college basketball. No one at home gets blown out for 40 minutes. Uh, but they can never come back and catch uh, the Wildcats. We'll, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on the comeback. But uh, the ugly first half, you know, the things that jumped out to me right away are not being locked in defensively. You know, the top of the uh, scouting report for the second week in a row is three-point shooting. You know, Villanova won the national title last year because they could shoot the three so well. And Phil Booth, uh, who's their best three-point shooter, makes three threes in the first, you know, four possessions. Eric Pascal makes another one, and it's 12-3 to three before uh, the first timeout. Just can't happen. No, it was a really tough start, and I think it was Ed Cooley who said after the game that we lost the game in the first half, and and he's absolutely right. Uh, You go into halftime 43-25, I think it was. Correct. Um, Villanova only scored 22 points in the second half and still managed to win the game. That that just can't happen. They're up up 21 in the first half. Yeah, they they got just about everything out of Phil Booth and Eric Paschal in the first half. you know, and Providence just left themselves with too much work to do, and and you know not just in that game, but potentially now for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, they had a chance here to get off to a good start at home. They ended up zero and two, and and they've left themselves over the last sixteen now a lot of work to do. Just just looking back, you know, the last five seasons when they made the NCAA's, in four of those years they've gone six and three at home in the Big East. Um, the other year they went five and four. 
But if you're looking at six and three, that turns into six and one now the rest of the way if they're going to match that. You've still got St. John's to come in here. You've still got Marquette to come in here. The Friars have made life very difficult for themselves by losing to Creighton and Villanova. No question about it. Uh, in, in this league, it's extremely balanced. I, I've now seen everyone uh, play at least once. Uh, I'm going to make a daring prediction here, bold prediction. Go ahead. DePaul will not finish last in this league this year. Which okay. I know they're 0-2 as we speak. I uh, Got it right here. They're 1-2. Um, and that one wins against Seton Hall. Against Seton Hall, who's as good as you know anybody in the league. Um, I, I, that that begs the question of you know where are those nine wins to get to nine and nine for the Friars? And th- there's no easy answers there. Uh, besides, you, know, you say, well, we got to win some games at you know at home. Uh, you got to win some games on the road. And um, I, I do think that there's a, a pretty good opportunity this Saturday when the Friars get back into action at Georgetown. Uh, the Hoyas are very much like Providence. Uh, they have young guards. Uh, they start uh, James Akinjo at point guard, just like the Friars start David Duke at point guard. Mac McClung, another uh, freshman, has been hurt a little bit, but uh, don't know his status for Saturday, uh, but we'll find out at some point. And uh, Josh LeBlanc is another freshman who starts for uh, Georgetown at forward. So, uh, And then they have you know, a, a Jesse Govan, a senior center. So they, they have a bit of a balance. But I, I will say the one couple takeaways from the Friars so far is uh, their backcourt is underperformed and it looks young. You know, uh, uh, Ed Cooley is playing David Duke and Makai Ashton Langford together now just to have a chance at a little better playmaking combination. Uh, the Friars once again really struggled um, on that you know, that part of their offense, they had 11 assists uh, on 20 field goals, uh, 34% shooting against Villanova. And you're not going to win many games with those stats. Well, without, without A.J. Reeves, they, they don't necessarily have anyone consistently who can make a shot. And, and I think that really showed against Villanova. They were 6-for-25 from three-point range in this game. Makai Ashton-Lankford was 4-for-4. Four four. The he, rest of the team was 2-for-21. And, and I think... Providence's offensive struggles, there were some open looks there in the first half and probably some looks that A.J. Reeves would have knocked down. Um, so they really, really miss him at this point as we get into the Big East portion of the schedule. No, there's no question that they miss A.J. And it's funny, Ed Cooley continually talks after these losses that, you know, we're a young team, we're a young team. Can't agree with them more. However, the upperclassmen are hurting them just as much as the youth of the young guys. Uh, for the second straight week, Isaiah Jackson, who's a fifth-year senior, uh, really struggled. Uh, first of all, he took 15 shots, which is way too many. He was 3 for 15 from the floor. Right. Malik White, who they badly need to step up in A.J.'s spot, a junior, 1 for 6. Those are your upperclassmen. If, if those guys aren't going to play well, it really puts a lot of pressure on the young guys. And, uh, you know, that obviously, obviously hasn't happened as well. The other thing that... Uh, clearly needs to improve is the Friars need to get the ball inside a little more because as you say you know shooting the ball so poorly from the three-point line the alternative is you got to give Nate Watson some better touches and uh, you know he's by far the highest field goal percentage guy on the team he was three for four against Villanova he needs way more than four shots yeah and Khalif Young was 0 for 3 so essentially out of the center spot you you got six points that's you know Jimmy Nichols played five minutes he started he scored zero so you're you're starting front court essentially you know you're three or four front court guys who you played up there really didn't give you any production whatsoever and and if you take Reeves 
out of the backcourt, he's not going to be there either. You, know, you struggle to see where Providence is going to score, and, and you understand why they only ended up with 59 points. Yeah, I, I think that they have more capability to score inside. I think it's more the touches. Uh, I, I counted two direct passes into Nate Watson, two. The, uh, in his 23 minutes. It's just not enough. Uh, again, he was not in foul trouble Yeah, for the first game maybe ever. He had zero fouls uh, and yet only had four shots. So uh, I do think that Ed Cooley has, has you know scrambled in the last two games with a you know, good defensive team versus a good offensive team. It's not the same cast of characters. Um, <clears throat> and that just, he hasn't found the right mix. Right. Uh, Georgetown's a different story. Uh, they do have uh, again, one of the better post, post players in the league, and Jesse Govan. So I, I think both Watson and Khalif Young will will, will see you know a time at all times as uh, whenever uh, Govan's on the court. It'll be interesting to see what Georgetown can do bouncing back. The Hoyas have had an interesting year because you know they went on the road again, very young team. They went on the road early and won at Illinois. Um, came home and beat. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, went to Syracuse and lost at the buzzer on a last-second shot. So you would think that they're looking pretty good. Uh, and then they open Big East play with a really impressive win at Butler. And then they lose to St. John's in overtime. And right now St. John's is, is playing as well as well they are. They're, they're, they're the Big East best team right now. And uh, they took St. John's to overtime and lost 97-94. Georgetown is at Xavier on Wednesday before turning around and playing Providence. So, again... The Hoyas are pretty good. Yeah, and they did that against St. John's without McClung, who's battling an ankle injury, and without Trey Morning, who's been battling a concussion. Um, Morning maybe less so, but having McClung on the floor is a big difference for them. Very athletic kid, can get to the rim, can finish on the break. Uh, if they can score 94 points without him, you, you wonder you know, how hard Providence is going to have to buckle down on defense uh, on Saturday to, to try and slow down the Hoyas. Uh, you know, this isn't the sort of half-court, grind-it-out, let's-have-a-fist-fight that Patrick Ewing played mm-hmm. when he was playing for John Thompson. These guys look to get a little more up-tempo. Um, in terms of Ken Palm, there are 75.4 offensive possessions in each Georgetown game. That's a top 15 number in the country. They really push the pace. Yeah, well, this is their last uh, five offensive productions, 94, 84, 102, 102, 83. Providence can't score 80 points no. as we speak right now. So obviously defense is going to be a major focus for the Friars. And uh, you know, on the road, tough test. But uh, again, I, I just look out at... You know, what they're looking at uh, going forward, it's an awful lot of road games. They're at Georgetown, home Seton Hall, and then at Marquette at Xavier. So, uh, you know, tough stretch, but it's the way of the world in the Big East. Well, and as we know, 0-3 is, yeah, I mean, 0-2 is bad enough. Mm-hmm. You go 0-3, and then you have Seton Hall coming in here, who's a pretty good team. That's a coin flip game. You're really flirting with letting this thing get away from you uh, if you go to Marquette and you're still looking for a win. That's 0-5 staring oh, you right sure. in the face. Yep. No, they, they certainly got to grab one of the next two. And, uh, you know, bottom line is if you keep losing home games, your season's down the tubes. Right. And uh, I know Seton Hall's good, but Providence needs to defend its home court when they get back into town next uh, Tuesday, the 15th. So we'll see what the deal is there. Um, Bill, the Bryant uh, Bulldogs, uh, you saw actually their opener, NEC opener, when they um, 
when they beat LIU, no, I'm sorry. Oh, they beat uh, St. Francis, Francis, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, and then turned around and lost uh, 79-70 to LIU, Brooklyn. But um, I don't know if we did a podcast last week after the St. Francis game or leading into it? Well, leading into it, we wished uh, one of our New Year's resolutions oh, that's right. a resolution. was a home sweep for the Bulldogs, and they got halfway there. Uh, the first game against St. Francis, Brooklyn, played very well. They were very efficient in that game. Um, took it all the way down to the end and, and were able to pull away late. Um, 32 for 36 at the foul line for the Bulldogs in that one. Uh, Sebastian Towns had 28 points. Um, more importantly, though, Kevin, I, I think I saw something out of Bryant that uh, they might carry forward until Jared Grasso has the players he wants in this program to play up tempo. They pulled the ball out and ran clock, and they ran the shot clock down to you know, 14, 15 seconds before starting their offensive actions. Looking back at their games this year, um, in terms of their pace, yeah, they tried to their play wins, quick. Yeah. Their wins, their five best games, the only one they lost was to Iowa. Their mm-hmm. five slowest games, they beat New Hampshire, Dartmouth, St. Peter's, St. Francis, Brooklyn. Iowa, they had the fewest possessions of the year, only 62. They lost by five on the road to a top 25 team. Mm-hmm. And I think Grasso has done a good job here sort of identifying how his team is going to have to play for them to be successful, even though it's completely opposed from what he wants to do. Now, LIU Brooklyn uh, came in Saturday. Derek Kellogg, the former UMass coach, we know he wants to push the tempo. 74 possessions in that game, and they lost by nine. It's just too many. Bryant is going to turn the ball over too much. They're going to miss too many shots. They're not going to get to the line as much as they did against St. Francis Brooklyn every night, having 36 attempts. They just don't have the talent to play a high-possession, high-tempo game yet. Well, the depth... Uh, that too as well um, Bryant uh, will turn around and go on the road probably that well it is that by far the toughest road game uh, for the Bulldogs only because of logistics to get out to Mount St. Mary's in the hills of Maryland on Thursday and then they'll turn around and get to Connecticut and play Sacred Heart uh, on the weekend so a tough little road trip for uh, for the Bulldogs again um, no school right now so it's probably a good time to go out to Mount St. Mary's but uh, you know that's a tough one. I have not been there. Tell me a little bit about that. I've never been there, but uh, previous coach Tim O'Shea always used to moan and groan about that trip. Usually they fly to Baltimore. Uh, they they kind of go in a strange way and go by Gettysburg okay. on the battlefield, take a left, and keep going. Emmitsburg, Maryland. I, I couldn't tell you where that is. It's a tough one. And uh, usually, because it's a small school, obviously this weekend maybe then not. Back in uh, back in school, but it's the biggest deal on campus. Um, Jamie and Christian's a good coach, uh, you know the the previous coach at Mount St. Mary's. So um, you know we'll see what they can do. But um, Bryant with a couple opportunities here this weekend, uh, Bill. But before we sign off here, I have a national view, a national uh, take here. Good. Um, uh, Duke is the new number one in. Uh, in the AP poll, and you are a voter. Full disclosure, correct? <laughs> am, am a voter. Uh, they were. Um, they may have been the preseason number one. Now that I think about it, but Kevin Mack didn't vote for them preseason. Oh, it might have been Kansas. No, or was it Duke? Maybe it was Kansas because I, I was a Kansas voter out of the shoot, and a lot of people really fell for Duke early, which I totally understand. They played really well out in Maui, um, and then lost to Gonzaga. Gonzaga, yes. 
and that opened some eyes a little bit. Uh, but since then, I'm sure you've seen them because they're on TV constantly. Sure. Uh, the, the contenders this week for the number one would be Duke with one loss, uh, Michigan undefeated, and Tennessee with one loss. Right. And Tennessee's loss is to Kansas. Yes. Uh, so it's they kind of all play each other at that highest level. So the question is, who would be your number one? And I, I voted uh, Duke. Okay. Um, you know, I understand that some voters in the AP, and this year there's been a big controversy over this, as we sit here on Tuesday, Duke is playing their first true road game tonight against yeah. Wake Forest. Yes. Welcome to the road, welcome to road college basketball, Zion Williamson. It's, right. It's January. Well, now, when you're Duke, you can play five neutral court games. They played Kentucky in Chicago. They played three in Maui. San Diego State, Auburn, who was very good, Gonzaga, who they lost to. And then a new, another neutral court game against Texas Tech, who at is, the garden, who at is Madison Square garden. very tough. Sure, very good team. Um, you know, they have wins over Kentucky, Auburn, Indiana, Texas Tech, Clemson. Those are good wins. Um, There's no question that that they're a very good team. But there is and has been a little bit of a backlash among some AP voters against Duke from the standpoint that they don't play on the road. And and they're not necessarily going to vote for Duke because they haven't played on the road. Uh, To my eye, they're the best team. R.J. Barrett is outstanding. Zion Williamson is incredible athletically with what he can do. Um, they're just loaded in terms of young talent, few experienced guys. Mike Krzyzewski's a great coach. They're efficient on offense and defense. I think they're the best team. Do I think they should be number one right now? I might give the nod to Tennessee um, or Kansas, although Kansas losing Adoka Azubuki yeah. is, a, is and, a big, big and, loss for them. And a game. They, they lost And they lost the to game. Iowa State yeah, and so, Arizona so State. So it's definitely not Kansas. But but Michigan's undefeated and uh, you Mich- know, have already, already had some good Big Ten wins. Yeah, Michigan would be – I mean, has, has Michigan done enough? I think that the big thing is Michigan started below a lot of these teams, and that's probably why they're not – Right. Number one at this point. Uh, they've beaten Villanova, North Carolina, Purdue, Northwestern, Penn State, Indiana. Those are pretty good wins. Um, and unlike the others, Michigan has won a couple of road games. Some road games, right. Anyway, right. they won at Villanova, crushed Villanova on the road. Um, you know, so I would probably say Duke is the best team that I've seen. I would also probably say that Michigan deserves to be number one. Okay. Uh, I think I went, well, I know I went Duke. Tennessee, Michigan, uh, and I felt badly only because Michigan's the undefeated team, and the other two have one loss. But uh, you go by what you see, as they say. So, and we'll see. Uh, who, I'm curious before we sign off, who, who does Duke play this weekend? I know they're at week Florida State. Any chance they're on the road again? On the road at Florida oh, State. Two in a row. Two in a row. That's unfair. Two in a row. The Dukies are on the road two games in a row. Well, I, I hope Zion and RJ uh, adapt well, and if they win two. They'll be uh, number one in the poll yet again. They're, uh, I'm sure they're, I'm not sure how they would get to Raleigh-Durham for Wake Forest. I would imagine they'd bust to that game. Easy. Yep. I'm sure they'll charter to Florida State, and for those two guys, they'll be chartering everywhere in the NBA next year. So this has been good practice for them. Be good practice. They'll be just fine. It, the, the days of Duke flying commercial, those probably ended in 1992. Maybe Jay Billis flew. flew uh, uh, maybe he was the last commercial Dukey he, in, in the late 80s. He might have been on one of these Delta flights. 
flights out of Atlanta, but yeah. uh, you know, otherwise, those guys don't see an airport terminal that no, uh, you and I walked. Through. By the time Grant Hill and Bobby Hurley arrived, it was it was probably big time for them. Yeah. So that's it for with this week's uh, Pick and Pop podcast. Uh, this is Kevin McNamara with Bill Koch. We'll see you guys next week.